Howdy JFC, glad that you are here. Uh, grab your notes if you will, you can follow along with me in this message. While you do that, let me welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, those that are live streaming us, those that will listen via the podcast, or you're watching the DVD, or you'll see it on your computer later on. We're just glad you're a part of the greater JFC family. First things first, uh, you, you, yes, how many of you remember me asking? Yeah, so here, here's... What's, what's the scripture? You have not because you ask not. I asked someone to make a t-shirt for me. And the person, I need to find out who it is. Pastor Terry brought it to my house just a couple of hours ago. I just got it. But whoever it was made 28 of these uh, for our pastors and, and put them together. It was just such a nice thing. And I looked at it and I thought, man, what a, somebody would do that for me. It was worthy of putting on and showing off and thanking publicly for it. So I just appreciate them uh, doing that. Uh, there are none for sale, but if you want to buy this one, let me know, and for the right price, it could be yours. Okay, uh, <laughs> we're in a series on Ephesians. That's the shirt, that's what I'm showing off and talking about. It's actually the fourth week on the book of Ephesians, and if I were to sum it all up, I would begin this way. Uh, if I only had one book left in my lifetime in the Bible to read, now I'm glad that I don't, but if I did, there was only one that I had left to read, it would be the book of Ephesians. My reason or my opinion about that just simply falls here. I think that when Paul wrote Ephesians, he probably was able to write better than any of his other epistles the full vision of how God feels about us. I think Ephesians 1, in my mind, probably states so clear, more than any other chapter I can think of, how God feels about us. When Paul writes Ephesians 1, when he goes through all, all, all of Ephesians, but Ephesians 1, it's just, I, I think, incredible. Here we are, four weeks into a series, and we're really only into the 11th verse, believe it or not, of this series. Um, want to say this to you. Tonight when I'm teaching, if anything I say about this series, if you didn't hear the other three messages, or if you go, I'd like to refer back and I'd like to pick up those other messages, here's how you would do it. As always, our website, jfc.org, everything on our website is freely available for you. We do it that way so that you can go back and you can pick it up. If you've got somebody that doesn't live here, you'd like them to hear or to see what we're doing, what we're talking about, refer them to the website. And like I said, everything there is free. Um, here's what we've talked about so far. The very first message was titled Kind Intentions. We've talked about how God feels about us, how he sees us, how he thinks about us. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at God's lavish love. We just talked about what that means and um, what, it, what it looks like, how, how his love literally has been revealed to us. Last week, we talked about the blood of Jesus. I want to say that um, last weekend, that message in particular, uh, man, the Holy Spirit moved in a phenomenal way with healing last weekend in our church. It was really cool. Uh, these two things, I didn't know that the healing um, message was going to take off like it did last weekend, but I knew that there were going to be a lot of salvations, and I told the staff, get ready, especially at all the campuses, I said, get ready. I, I just feel like there'll be a lot of people born again this weekend. We had uh, just about 100 people born again last weekend. And when I say that, what, let, me, let me qualify that. I, I think that it's easy a lot of times um, just to count hands. You know if you go here that we don't go, okay, if you're wearing a shirt, raise your hand, and then we count those people right there. We ask specifically, if you don't know Christ, if you've never uh, asked for this, if you've never prayed this, then we want you to respond. And we literally had approximately 100 people that responded last week. And so we were just thrilled with that and felt like um, God's just done just a really neat thing with that. Uh, if you say, so what's it going to be tonight? I'm not sure. Be real honest with you. I'm going to talk about a number of things right here. In the last service, um, uh, it was... Um, it was pretty powerful what the Holy Spirit did, but it was different than last week. So let's just see what God does. We'll jump into this. Find Ephesians uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14 there in your notes. Follow along with me and I'll read it out loud. In him, we were also chosen. Let me stop real quickly. I'm going to break down these words tonight. They're not semantics. I know sometimes you tend to look at words and you go, does it really matter? Words matter. If you're married, yes or no, words matter you have children and you ever guarantee anything, yes or no, words matter. Kids remember, words do matter. Words matter in this situation because you don't come to the gospel accidentally. No one ends up in the kingdom of God accidentally. 
You were chosen to be in the kingdom of God. This is on purpose. You may feel like, even if this is your first time tonight, you have only yielded to someone's invitation. You are looking at it from the wrong point of view. I want to assure you, you are not here accidentally. God intended, purposed, and willed for you to cross paths with him. And he's got something very important for you. We'll jump into that in just a second. So in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Stop and answer this. That's a whole lot right there, yes or no. He has so much here that to be honest with you, I could spend, we could go two or three weeks just pulling apart these few verses right here. I am not going to in any way, shape, or form be able to do really, with all honesty, I'm not going to be able to do justice to this the way that I would want to. But I felt like there's a few things here that we can look at in these verses that God has for us in this time. So let me hit that first one, the idea that we're chosen. In him, it says here that we are also chosen. I throw that out there and I make the statement, it's not semantics. The Bible clearly tells us that we were chosen. And the difference of it comes down in the thought or the theology or the understanding of people saying, I found God, or the truth is, God found you. Make the statement, how many of you know you're not smart enough to find God? I, I am telling you the truth right now. This is more than just semantics. When people end up in the kingdom of God, when they have the born-again experience, Paul says here it works this way. When you heard the message of truth and you believed it, you were part of salvation. The way that it works is we hear the message, we believe it, we become born again. God, God puts his spirit inside of us. And the Bible says we are new creatures, new creation. We're born again. When that experience happens to people, normally the way they'll phrase it is they'll say things like, I got religion or I found God. Have you ever heard that before? Now, I get what they're saying. I get why they're saying it. But the truth of the matter is, it's really mixed up language. You didn't find God. God got you. And it's really important for you to get the distinction between the two things. Because what I'm going to teach you tonight in this first point is the idea, God is the pursuer, not you. He's the initiator. He takes the first place. It's always been that way. It will never be any different. You don't pursue God. God pursues you. What you do is respond to the pursuit in order to grow in the relationship, if that makes any sense. The idea that you found God is totally backwards to what the gospel teaches. In him, we were also chosen. 1 John 4.19, John writes it this way. We love him because he first loved us. Yes or no, that gives the order of how the relationship took place. We didn't love him and then he loved us. We didn't pursue him Think about him or go after him, and then God came after us. The truth of the matter is, if you're in any relationship tonight with God, it's because he's pursuing you, and you've learned to respond to him. Boy, I love that. It's, it's, it's the idea here that it's not accidental that you come to the kingdom. It's the idea that no one ends up in a relationship with God just because. You're in a relationship with him because he pursued you. Because he came after you. Because he wants you. You never end up there accidentally. I put it in this sentence right here in your notes. Our love is in response to his love. And let me try to break it down and put it to you this way. In the book of Ephesians, whenever Paul wants to try to describe the, the love between us and God, he has to use a model that an average human can understand. Look, the love of God, man, is so vast. It is so huge. One guy said, the love of God has no end. That's only part of the story. The love of God, Dan, never had a beginning. God has existed eternally. He is, he doesn't just love, he is love. It's who he is. So he's always loved. He didn't start loving, he's always loved. And he always will love. And we as humans, we try to figure out that love. We try to understand that love. How many of you know your brain is finite? He is infinite. And at some point, trying to figure out everything there is to know about God, your brain blows up. No, be honest. Have you ever had that conversation where you go, okay, um, I, was born, I was born in 64. Some of you were born before, some of you after. Have you ever thought about 
how long God's been around. Have you ever had that thought in your mind where you just come to that thing, God always exists, and your brain just stops at a certain point, and you either have to do one of two things. You either have to believe or you have to reject it. Do you know what I'm saying? You just get, it is so vast. It is so huge. God is the God of the universe. He, he put the whole thing together. He is the God that is so vast, but he is also the God that is so personal. He knows the number of hair on your head or the lack of on your head. <laughs> he, listen, he's the God who is, he is everywhere, but he's right here. He knows everything, but he's also personally involved in your life. He is vast but he is personal. And trying to understand that sometimes, our brains break down. We can't get it. So Paul then, he takes this understanding. When he tries to describe the relationship that we're to have with God, he puts it in terminology that the average human being can understand. So in Ephesians 5, he says it this way. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Wives, submit yourself or give honor to your husband like you do to the Lord. So here's what he's doing. He's trying to take this love that is so incredibly huge. And he's trying to say the only way the average person can understand the love of God is if I give an example that they get. So he uses the relationship between the husband and the wife. All right, let me use the same relationship tonight to teach this idea of pursuit and response. So about 30 years ago, I met my wife. Now, we didn't get married exactly 30, almost 30 years ago, but it went something like this. I was raised a Catholic kid, was not raised in, in, a, um, in a place that taught the idea. They taught God is huge, but they did not teach God as personal. Does that make sense? They taught God as vast, but they did not teach him as here and now. So they gave a good understanding about who God was, but they never introduced me to who God is. Maybe that's the best way to say it. All right, I come from that experience, and I get invited to go to a small Pentecostal church. Now, I could say I yielded to an invitation. The truth of the matter is, God had plotted for me to cross paths with him in a most wonderful way. Here's the story. I walk into the building of a very small Pentecostal church. In the back of the building is a beautiful woman who was greeting everybody. Same woman that greets you when you walk into this church. How many of you have been greeted by Donna Hilders? You know exactly who I'm talking about. You don't even know her name, but you know who I'm talking about. Okay, that woman is now my mother-in-law. Then she was just a greeter at a church that I walked into. She goes, introduce her, who's, mine John, how old are you? I tell her, she says, oh, you need to go to our high school Sunday school class. Now, let me say to you for a moment, people that don't know what Sunday school are, are not excited to go to Sunday school. <laughs> Sometimes the wording that we use, because it makes sense to us, does not make sense to people coming from outside. That make just a thought here. So we were going to go to Sunday school. I wasn't excited about it. I trudged down the steps behind her. She opens the door in the basement of a church. I look inside. There was only three or four people, but there was a creature of beauty beyond description. <laughs> I, now, they say love at first sight. I don't believe in love at first sight, but I do believe in lust at first sight. I, I think that... Oh, come on! <laughs> You act like you're holy. Give me a break here for a minute. You did not get love at first sight. You got lust at first sight. You know it's true. That's exactly what happened. I looked and was like, and so I, 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 I can go to Sunday school. Yes, let's go to Sunday. Sunday school is good. Give me a button. So I, I go to Sunday school. <laughs> And, and here, here, this is the truth of the matter. That we were just talking about this yesterday. Um, the, the first thing I did outside of that Sunday school class, they were having an all-nighter at the church. And Chris signed up for it, so I signed up right behind her. I thought, an all-nighter, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So, um, <laughs> I was bad. I admit, I admit it. So, uh, so I said, and we, were, we were just, we went up to the mountains yesterday to, to look at the leaves, and we were stopped at Evergreen on the way down to eat, and I asked her, do you remember the first time I tried to hold your hand? And it was at that all-nighter right there. I moved quick. She did not. It was, <laughs> she, <laughs> here, so here, here was the situation. I, I'm smitten. I fall into this. The, here, was, here was the deal. Almost 30 years ago, 
our relationship began based on these two truths. I pursued her and she responded to the pursuit. Now you may sit here and you think to yourself, man, that's an awful, simple definition. That is exactly how Paul writes Ephesians so that you and I get a simple definition of a love that we're supposed to be able to take from here and understand so that we can demonstrate to the world. What good is it if you read all of the wisdom and the knowledge of Ephesians, but you can't take it out of here to understand it? So in a simple understanding, he takes Ephesians 5. He talks about the love of God in Ephesians 1. By the time he gets to 5, he says this. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves you. We're supposed to understand what that love looks like so that we can do that love. Wives, submit yourself or honor your husbands like you do Jesus. Look at the model so that you know how to live it out. So that when I teach the message, I use the same truth. God pursues you. He chose you. He picked you. You are not smart enough to find him. The relationship between you and God is predicated on these two truths. He pursues you and you respond to him. It works as simple as this and it's continued to work in this fashion for almost 30 years. I pursue her and if I don't pursue her, the relationship stops right then and there. Yes or no? She responds to me or she doesn't respond to me. The relationship goes forward or it stops right there based on the response. Yes or no? Here's the truth and the good news. As a human, I may sometimes pursue or not. God isn't like that. God always pursues you. Listen to this. God loves you because of who he is, not who you are. Therefore, he's always loved you. He loves you now and he always will love you. But the relationship only goes forward if you respond to the love. Is it true or not? If you aren't open to it, if you aren't saying, God, I want this, I, yes to this, yes, I want to know you, yes, I want to grow in it. If you don't say yes to it, it's, it doesn't matter how powerful he is. It doesn't matter that he's the God of the universe. It doesn't matter that, that he can do anything. He's given you the choice to love him. Therefore, the relationship is completely predicated on he pursues, we respond, and nothing happens if you don't respond. I love that thought because it brings it down to the idea that God has, and he has made it so easy for us to understand. He pursues, we can respond, it's up to us. This week, kind of a, a neat deal. I had, uh, I had a young church planner in my schedule. One of the things that I, I have a heart for big time and I make time for, guys that plant churches. I, it's different. I, oh, pastors, I, I love pastors. I, I help pastors. I'm, I want to take the time. to Jubilee, I planted by myself. And I didn't have anybody to put their arm around me. And I wanted that desperately. When this church finally made it from the time of just survival, I made, I made a promise to God. If we, ever, if we make it, I will give what I didn't have. And I put my hand out. I try to help other churches, but especially people that plant churches. I have a soft spot in my heart. So a guy from northern Colorado called me. He just planted a church. It's doing well. He said, man, I just need someone to talk to. I need somebody that's ahead of me. Can you spend some time? When he comes down, we go to Starbucks. We're talking. The whole thing is about marriage. Here's, here's what's going on. His church is booming. He's very successful, but he's wrestling with the thing. How do I balance that with my marriage? And how do I make this happen here? And here's what I told him. Listen, your job, your church is not your bride. Your job, you need to take care of your bride and let God take care of his bride. Your time, your effort, your energy belongs here first and this second. That's priority. And here's the issue. You need to go all out in your love this way for your wife before you go all out in your love this way for the church. Because if you're publicly successful here, but you're privately a failure here, the whole thing breaks down here. Does that make sense? So I spend time talking about it. I spend, put this down. Do the thing that God has given you your bride. This is your, you can't take anything else to heaven with you except the relationships that God puts right here in your life.
Maybe the only thing you're ever going to be able to take with you is the relationship that you have with your wife and your children. That's where your influence is more than any place else. Spend your time there first. I mean, he gets it. It's really good. I leave there. I get done with the appointment a few minutes early, so I'm going to go get a haircut. So I run over, I dash over to the haircut. Here, this happens to me. I can't tell you the number of times this happens to me. The guy standing in front of me turns around, Pastor John. I'm like, I got 15 minutes. And the guy's like, man, I used to go to your church. I just moved to Florida. Listen to this. I just moved to Florida. I'm back here on a whim, and God sent you here. I'm like, do we both get to vote on that right now? <laughs> Any pastor knows what I'm talking about. So I start the conversation with this guy. Listen, this is God honest truth. The girl, she, she's cutting it. She goes, she, she, his name's Matt. She goes, Matt, your turn. He goes, this is a very important conversation. You're going to have to wait. And I'm like, can I go in your place? And you, <laughs> you talk while she cuts. And so I sit there. Let's do, here, deal with this. We talk about his marriage. It was a God appointment. I, 15 minutes, man. I am just pouring out. This guy, he's weeping inside of this barber shop. And we're talking about his marriage. I'm just telling him, go all out in your love for your wife. Do, every, do everything that you can for this. And then I told him this. Listen, here's what makes this powerful. I, I worked for guys who used to say they were into their wives, who used to say that family comes first, but privately and publicly were two different things. What makes this powerful, and my staff will tell you, I live what I'm talking about right now. I live this. I don't just say this, I live this. I know what I'm talking about. This relationship is predicated on the pursuit and the response. Now, in human terms, sometimes she pursues me, and I respond to her. It doesn't always work on a one-way street. But in terms with God, it works on that simple principle. He chose you, you get to respond to him. He picked you tonight, and he's going to ask you before this is done, do you want to respond? And your chance to respond to him is the chance for you to grow in him. Let me move on. So we're chosen. How about this? Let me talk about his will. What is the purpose of God's will? The Bible tells us in this chapter right here, in these few verses, that the purpose of his will is the fact that we've been chosen in him, and he blesses us. The Bible says God can use anything to accomplish his purpose. Let me say that one more time. God can use anything to accomplish his purpose. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, same guy that wrote Ephesians wrote Romans. Here's what he says in Romans 8.28, and it's the same thought or idea there that it is here in Ephesians. He said, we know that in all things, say all things. Okay, let me, let me play Bible scholar here real quickly. Um, how much is all things? Gee, you'd have to go to seminary seven years to mess this up. How many is all things? God can use all things. Yes or no? So what is it? God can use all things. God can use good things. God can use bad things. God can use things we understand and things we don't understand. God can use things that look like they're not going to work out. Yes? No? So make a decision. Okay. <laughs> so like Romans 8:28. We know that in all things God works the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. In Ephesians, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He is saying the exact same thing in Ephesians that he's saying in Romans. God can take anything. God can win with a pair of twos. Is that terminology you understand? God, nothing, nothing challenges God from completing his will in your life. No circumstance, no situation, no problem, nothing the devil does, nothing that happens, in, nothing challenges God from being able to complete his purpose in your life. His will is going to be performed. And the truth of the matter is, God can use anything, good or bad, positive or negative, to complete his will. 
I put down for an illustration, Joseph. You remember in the Old Testament, Joseph, what, what a character. Joseph, at 17 years old, has a dream. And in the dream, it's prophetic. The sun and the moon bow down at his feet. So he goes and tells his father and his older brothers, I had this prophetic dream. In the dream, the sun and the moon bowed down and served me. Guess what? Dad, you're the sun. Brothers, you're the moon. You're all going to bow down. Now, here's the problem with that. It may have been prophetic, but he had a big mouth. (laughs) Some things you don't share, yes or no. Some things aren't for everybody else. They're just for you. It starts a chain reaction in his life that for the next 13 years, he goes through prisons, he goes up, he goes down, he goes all over the place, but his life, the middle of his life goes this way. God uses the prophetic ability in Joseph to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. He interprets correctly a a huge, uh, 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 what do they call it when you run out of water? A drought, thank you. I knew what it was. You see? Could you see that I knew, but I could not get the word to come out of my mouth. And the closer to 50, the farther the words go <laughs> from my mouth. It's true, isn't it? The, the words just, I know what they are. I can see them in the distance like strangers from a distance. I know that they're there. He interprets a dream about a drought. It's an unbelievable drought. And he interprets it correctly. And then he tells Pharaoh what he should do in order to position Egypt to weather this drought. So Pharaoh looks at him. He says, is there anybody else then that God could use like he uses this guy? And he makes him the prime minister over all of Egypt. The story goes this way. The same brothers who sold him into slavery, who betrayed him, show up in Egypt trying to buy grain because of the drought. And he's the one who's administering all of the grain that's been stored up inside of Egypt. But he's dressed like an Egyptian. So they don't don't recognize him. So they're standing there. He's got the power of life and death. If he was vindictive, he could have killed them instantly. He takes off the wig and they recognize it's our brother Joseph who we thought was dead. And then it dawns on him, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And this is what the story says. He's going to kill us. And then Joseph tells them this, what you intended for evil, God has used for good to complete his purpose. Now, Two years before that, he was in a prison. He was in a pit. Everything that he believed to be true about God's plan and purpose, all the evidence in his life would have pointed to the fact that if this is what it means to be blessed, how do I get unblessed? If this is what it means to be chosen, how do I become unchosen? Everything in his life would have pointed to the fact that God has not been faithful, God has not honored him, God has not He's not fulfilled his word or his promise. The thought simply would be this, that ultimately God used the very thing that was ugly and negative to bless Joseph and to bless everybody around Joseph. My point, I can sit here and teach this scripture. Oh, it sounds good. What would I use illustration-wise for my life? What would I say right now? What do I have? That if I had to stand up here and talk to people older than me, people younger than me, people from so many different walks, what would I say that's in my life right now that I would compare where the evidence points to a failure? The evidence points to the fact that it didn't work out the way it was supposed to work out. Here's what I would say. I've got five children. My second is handicapped. We didn't know he was handicapped when he was a little boy. He just began to fall behind the other kids. And they labeled him a disciplinary problem early on. So that in kindergarten, they'd put him in the corner. In kindergarten, they'd say, come pick him up. In kindergarten, they began to say, he's a trouble kid. God in his providence, by accident, we thought we found the doctor, but God led us. We ended up with a doctor at National Jewish. The story, I am cutting to the details just to finish it in time here. But the, the way that we got there was a miracle in and of itself. We end up with the one guy who is the, the authority on the syndrome that my son has. One in 500,000 people have what my son has. That escaped most of you. You don't realize the rarity of what I just said. One in 500,000. It's called Rubenstein Tabi. It's a form of mental retardation. A chromosome mutates at birth. If they would have done 
a study of him before he's born. Everything was fine. At birth, it mutates. A gene turns and everything goes with it. And he's mentally challenged. We don't know it right off the bat. There was nothing physically that we could look at that would reveal it. Some people who are, who are challenged with it, you can look at their face and you can see the identification you know. But with him, it was different. We couldn't tell. He just couldn't talk. His motor skills were slow. It wasn't that he didn't listen to the teacher. He couldn't understand the teacher. Tell me there's not a difference between those two things, but we don't know that. So we go right along with the program that's happening in his life. And it was only through serendipity, accidental blessing that we end up in front of this doctor. And the doctor looks at him and says, I will do a study on his DNA. But I can tell you right now, he is Rubenstein Taby. And we go home and we start studying about it. And everything that he's got is in this thing. All right. He's a little boy. We realize it. We're his parents. So we begin to handle it. We're his protectors. No one at school is going to do this to him again. We begin to walk this out, but here's what happens. That was 1990. Now it's 2012. And life has gone right on. All of his siblings have left our house just about. The few remaining are only there for minutes in a day. He's watched his brothers and sisters marry and go to school, have relationships. Listen to this. He's been frozen since 1990. Chris and I deal with the reality that we're never going to be empty nesters. We have a child that's going to be with us for the rest of his life. He lives in our basement, and we're here to take care of him. The problem in sharing your thing is that it's your thing, and it's always relative to the person, isn't it? When you share your thing, maybe I don't get it, but I'm trying to share with you the thing that I can't reconcile. If God is so good, then how can I have this so bad? If God is so fair, if everything works out, Anybody? Can you handle me being raw right now? Or do you need a preacher who doesn't have problems? Do you need one who doesn't? I can preach the gospel, but if it's not real, how does it help? Here I am. I'm where Joseph was. I'm in the situation right now where the end of the story isn't here yet. So I can't point to the fullness of how God used it all for his goodness and my benefit. I'm at the point of the story right now where it looks like I got the short end of the deal. I'm at the point of the story where it looks like God hasn't been faithful. I'm at the point of the story where I have people come to me, well-meaning, who tell me, just cast the devil out of him. Well-meaning. I share that, I share it as raw as it is Because when I take this scripture and the truth, listen, the truth that all things work together for good to them that know and love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I believe it's true. But I also have another reality over, I've got two truths. I've got the truth in this life that I've got a kid with a deficiency that is causing things to happen in my life that I can't control. I can't stop it. I can't fix it. I can't get my hand. I don't have enough money to make it right. Because there's not enough money to make it right. It not make any sense. But I've got this truth. God is always faithful. God is good. God is righteous. God is here. God loves me. God has blessed me. I've got these two truths going on in my life and they haven't met together yet. But it doesn't mean that this truth overshadows 
that truth so that it's not true. He's still faithful, even though right now my story is that it's not fixed. He's still faithful, even though it's not completed of what's going to happen to him. He may not in this life get what the others have. But this life isn't the whole story. And I'm looking around and I see tears going right now all over the place. And here's what I hope is happening. I hope it's not my story you're crying over. I hope you're thinking about your story. I hope you're looking at some truth in your life that doesn't, it's not true according to the idea that everything works together for good. I hope you've got something in your life that you're going, these two things are fighting to exist. Good! Wrestle with it! Fight with it! But come out the other side with this truth. He is faithful, regardless of what happens over here. By faith, he's faithful. By faith, he's good. By faith, he's righteous. Even if the end of my story hasn't been written yet. Faith isn't faith unless the rubber meets the road in the place that you can't explain. Did you hear that? I... I know this. Here's what I do know. Let me quit talking about what I don't know. <laughs> Let me talk about what I do know. We are better parents. We have a patience inside of us and a heart inside of us for people that we would not have otherwise. It's why I can love the person who says, cast the devil out of him. Did you just hear that? Did you sit there and think, well, I would never say that. I bet you say something. I bet you do something, and I bet you need somebody in your life who can love you in spite of what you say. Hello? See, how do you do those things? You know, God doesn't come with a magic wand and boink you on a head. Oh, now I know how to do all this. Here's how you do it. You go through the hard things in life. God is still faithful. He works his things in your life and you come out with his character on the other side of it. Does that make any sense? Jesus never, ever one time said, serve me and you have an easy life. Here's what he said. If you serve me, you will have it difficult, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Now who still wants to serve him? No, no, be honest. What if the promise, what if the promise is this? It may not work out in this life like you want it to. Will you still serve me? Who will still serve him? Just be honest. I hope you will. If I have to stand up here and say, everything in your life will be taken care of. You'll always have money. You'll always have it easy. Your car will never run out of gas. In fact, it'll never break down. I went out to start one this morning and the stupid thing wouldn't start. Didn't it? And I just put a battery in it. I wanted to cast the devil out of something. I did. I wanted to lay hands on it. There was a lot of things I wanted to do. How, how foolish, how crazy. Go back, oh, God's not faithful because my battery didn't work. It's the same principle to go. I have a son with a handicap. God's not, it's the same thing. God's will for you is what? God's will for you is what? Fill in the blank. God's will for you is wealth. God's will for you is ease. God's will for you is trouble free. God's will for you is blessing. When I say the word, some people hear money. Yes or no, blessing is bigger than money. Money may be a portion, a part. Money is good. Money's amoral. It's not bad. The love of money is where the problem ends up at, but money in and of itself is fine. But blessing is bigger than money. How about this? You can be rich, but people can hate you. Yes? No? But more personal. You can be wealthy, but your children hate you. 
Now you got a problem. How about this? You could have money and your kids like you. That's blessed. You could not have money and your kids like you. That's blessed. You sleep at nighttime. That's blessed. True? This blessing is so much bigger than this one thing. God's will for your life is that you're blessed. But it's more than one issue. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope, to give you a future, not to harm you, to bless you. Now, in context, God spoke that over the prophet Jeremiah. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is profitable for us to pull things from. So while it is true that God said this to Jeremiah, God is love. God is a blesser. He chose you in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're part of the blessing. You're blessed. God's will for your life is blessed. So that, hey, what do I have to do? Look at me in the eye right now. Don't look down. Even if the stuff doesn't make sense, God's blessing and his hand is still upon your life. It changes this truth here. Doesn't change this truth over here. This truth here overshadows this truth here. Do you know how hard it is for this man to get up and down like that? <laughs> this... this this reality on the ground, this reality on the ground hasn't been finished yet. And it doesn't end in this life. This life may pass. I step into another where it will be all fulfilled then. I may get it here, but if I don't, it doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful or that he didn't bless me or that he didn't take care of me. It just means that in this time, the end of the story is not written. There he will be healed. There there'll be no tear. There, there'll be no heartache. There, it all makes sense. There, it's wholeness. And if I have to wait till there to get it, it still means he's fair. It still means he's fair. Because this is about 70 or 80 years. It's a blip. That's eternal. I'll trade it all right now. Hands down. Straight up, I'll trade it all right now for there. I'm glad I'm wearing my tennis shoes tonight. <laughs> I don't need to work out. I've done it, so I get a, I get a credit, a pass for today. Okay, let me, let me, ah, um, I don't know why I got stuck there. Here's the truth. This message was supposed to be about adoption. I, I totally, I, I, I mean that. We go to write this, everything that we had said, everything that we had put together for me to write this message was all about adoption. I go to write the message, and I didn't get one thing from God on adoption. I got it on this issue right here. So, I know I'm not going to teach on adoption if God's not doing that. There's something that I'm saying right now that's hitting Somebody needs to hear it, or many somebodies need to hear it right now. So I know better than to do my own thing. I'm just telling you, I don't know why in particular he went this way. He's got something that he wants to say. So that with two minutes and 13 seconds left, I just have to give up and go at this point. So I'll just complete it with this. I won't even get to the end thing. I won't try to cram it in there. I'll just say this. The, how many of you are familiar with high church? You went to high church, formal church. Church that used liturgy, dress-up church. <laughs> Is that the right word? Dress-up church. You went to dress-up church. Okay, I went to dress-up church as a kid. Dress-up church had the benediction. How many of you know what the benediction is? Remember with the benediction. The benediction would happen at the end of the service. The pastor would stand up, the priest would stand up, whoever was directing the service, and would read the benediction. How many of you know what the benediction is? The Lord bless you and keep you. Okay, you know the benediction. It comes from the book of Numbers. I'll read it to you. It's what it says. Just a simple scripture, a beautiful scripture. It's number 624. It just reads this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Okay, it's called the benediction 
The benediction is just simply the end. Here's what it comes in context. The high priest was told this, no matter what you say to my people, when you're done with the message, whether it's the law, whether it's grace, whatever you teach, when you're done, you pronounce the blessing on my people so that I get the final word on their lives. It does not matter what is in your story right now. God has spoken the final word over your life, and it is that you are blessed. Your feelings are not the proof of whether or not I'm telling you the truth right now. At some level, we got to quit living by our feelings and live by the truth. At some level, to grow up in Christ means that my feelings don't rule me, the truth does. And when you do that, your feelings will follow truth. Your feelings are following a truth, the wrong truth. The truth of what's going on right here and right now. And you've chosen to make this bigger than this truth. Quit talking about what the devil's done. And begin to talk about what God's done. Does that make any? All right. I, I'm, I said I would quit there and I will. Where is the engagement point then with God in the service? I think it's at that level right there. I think what the Holy Spirit would say is that if you sit there and anything hits you, if it has somehow penetrated your heart, listen, that's the pursuit of God that I was talking about earlier. That's not your brain. That's not you suddenly becoming smart. You're not enlightened now. That's not what, that's God got your attention. Now your job, you get to respond if you want to. You get the opportunity to say, okay, I'll engage you at the level of truth, that you're good, that you bless me, that you're for me, not against me, that all things work together for good. To them that know and love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, I'll engage you right there. I'll worship you over that. I'll stand on that. That's the Holy Spirit pursuing you. So what will you do with it? So I would hope that you would just go, the light would come on. you go, here I am then. So I, forgive me for being so, whatever the word is. Forgive me for doing it, but I... <laughs> So maybe it's maybe it's just the so a lady took one, she gave me the grace. She said, You're like a barroom preacher. I said, What does that mean? She said, You could go into a barroom and convince people to listen to you. It's harder to get church people to listen sometimes. <laughs> it is. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that sometimes they they've just they're so preconditioned. To hear it and to agree with it and then to leave. And it doesn't change the reality on the ground. This needs to penetrate. It needs to pierce. It needs to impact. It needs to wrap itself around you. It needs to guard you and guide you and hold you. It needs to keep you. Right now, engage with him. Even if you go, I'm not coming back here again. I got you now. So right now, open your heart. You sit there and you feel anything nudge you. Anything get your attention. Anything pokes your heart. That's the pursuit of God. That's what that is. Then if you sit there and you go, I feel nothing. Oh, I challenge you then. I challenge you, am I telling the truth? If I am, what will you do with the truth? What will you do with the truth? Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. Father, do whatever, however you want to do it right now. God, here's what I just pray. As we come to engage with you, Lord, you are here 
you are now, you are available. And everyone, God, who wants to experience you, here's your word to them. Taste and see that I am good. Taste and see that I am good. God is not far away. He is the God of the universe, but he is right here. He is right now. This wasn't taught just to appeal to emotion. It was taught to grab your heart. It was taught knowing that if God gets your heart, he'll get your brain too. He'll get your life. He'll get everything. Anything that I said pierces your heart. At that level, engage with God tonight. Talk truth to him. If you feel things have been unfair, say that. If you think things don't make sense, say that. But don't leave here comfortable with that. Engage him right now. Let him touch you. Let him speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. Let faith arise in your heart. Let the miraculous be possible. God, it's at that level that we just say yes to you right now and however you want to do it for whoever hears this message, it's okay with us. Thank you. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you come after us. Here we are. Here we are. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand at your feet if you will. As we go into this time of worship, I want you to use all the elements that we offer to engage God. You can worship him. You can stand. You can sit. You can kneel. You can use our altar. You can take communion. You can seek out prayer. Whatever you need to engage God tonight, we offer it to you. But please engage with him.